Good morning, podcaster. Welcome to the Piatti Lambert Show. You are on the best podcast for photographers, videographers, and creators in general. All right, today super special episode because we are talking about being unique. And for that, I have with me the awesome photographer and stop motion animation maker, Colette Robinson. So, Colette, as I mentioned, is a stop motion animator, but she started as a photographer and you will see, I think her journey might inspire you, especially if you're trying to find something unique to do. On top of that, we'll be digging into the business aspect. How do you price with your client? How much she charges? And how can you actually build pricing that makes sense for yourself and your client? Because that's the most important after all. And before we get right into it, I want to wish you a great day. And remember, all the links to Colette's work are in the podcast show notes. So if you want to have a little sneak peek before we get in, make sure you check it out. All right, let's get started. Let's welcome Colette to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Colette. Hi, thanks for having me. You're welcome. It's a, it's a pleasure having you. And um, I'm very excited for this podcast because you're doing something completely different than any other guests so far. So can you tell us why stop motion? Yes. So I was really into photography first. I was a photographer taking jobs in anything that I could get, like headshots for actors or family portraits, birthday parties, anything. And stop motion was something that I started doing on my iPhone just for fun um, and thought it was really amazing because it kind of allowed me to make magic tricks and I've always loved magic and I was able to make objects move that can't normally move or make people move in weird ways. And I just thought it was so fascinating. And I loved that anytime I made a stop motion, people were like, wow, how did you do that? And they couldn't believe that like I had created it. And so it was really fun to see people's reactions and, kind of do something, like you said, that's different and not everybody's doing. So um, since I was a photographer also, eventually I realized I can make stop motion with my camera and it can look a lot nicer. And so I kind of meshed the two together and started making them for fun. Just like after work, I'd go home, find anything around the house and make a stop motion and do what any creative looking for validation would do, post it on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of like how I got started in it. And then as I was working as a freelance photographer, more and more brands just wanted stop motion. Like they always wanted maybe some photography, lifestyle imagery, but mostly what I was getting inquiries about was stop motion. So I realized that must be my secret sauce and kind of what people were looking to get more of. That's awesome. Do you remember what, what triggered your first ever stop motion? Was it a movie? Was it something? So my first ever was actually when I was 10 years old and It must have been movies that I had seen, although it was so long ago. I don't know exactly what triggered it, but I know that it was boredom because I, my mom dragged me to oh this God. conference. 
and we still have the footage. I shot with her like 90s camcorder and made her cell phone, which was like a dinosaur Nokia cell phone, um, move on its own. And I pressed start and pause on the camcorder and then would move the phone in between each frame to make it look like it was moving on its own. And it's like the worst stop motion ever, but we saw that footage and realized that that was the first one I ever made. And then it's like interspliced with footage of some guy talking at a conference. So clearly I was 10 years old and just bored out of my mind and decided to make something fun out of nothing. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's great that it goes back so far. And did it, did it just disappear for a while? Yes. And then resurfaced? (laughs) Yeah, so then I didn't make one until then I graduated college and got my first job. I took an unpaid internship at a creative agency in L.A., and one of my tasks was running the company's Instagram account, and the pressure was on to be super creative with it, and this is when I would just like shoot stop motion with my iPhone, and I think the first one I made for them was like a stuffed animal and some gummy bears and I made it and they loved it. And then it became this weekly series where I would make little stop motions for the company. Um, And then that ended up turning into a full-time job and I was still running their Instagram for the four years that I worked there. Oh, really? Yeah. So looking back, like they were really bad, but I think this is when like, I don't know, there wasn't as much pressure for a company to be on Instagram, so the stakes were pretty low, and they just thought they were cute and fun. But with more practice, I started getting better and better. <laughs> yeah, that's great that you're able to look back at your work and be like, that was pretty bad. Um, oh, yeah. Which usually means that nowadays uh, it's much better, right? There was a progression. Yeah, I mean, I'm still aware of the fact that I'll look back at my work now and think it was terrible. So I think I still have a long way to go, but it is cool <laughs> to, to see that progress. Yeah, as long as year to year, you're able to see a progress, that's, that's a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> How, what, what, um, what makes a bad stop motion? What makes a good one? Well, one of the main things I think that kind of separates a professional from sort of someone just playing around is lighting um, because with stop motion the lighting is really important that it stays consistent so that means you have to be in a room with controlled lighting and no natural light or else there will be flicker from frame to frame so if you're shooting next to a window then the cloud goes in front of the sun or the sun changes its direction then the frame you took five seconds ago will be different from the next frame and then the video will go from like dark to light. So that's something that, I mean, when I first started shooting, I always shot right up against a window and if I was lucky, I could shoot quick enough where there wouldn't be a lot of flicker. But now my studio has blackout shades. So I have to like blackout the whole room and then I have my own lights. And for a while before I kind of like upped my game and got the blackout shades, I would just only shoot at night when there was no natural light. So I was working like 8 p.m. and later. That's so funny. So one day you realize, oh, maybe I should have 
a normal schedule and just block out the, the light. Yeah, I was like, wow, this will give me so much more time and improve my well-being and work-life balance <laughs> if I can work during the day. So That's... I invested in some blackout shades and... Now that's like just kind of a necessity for me. I think it's cool because you can do stop motion anywhere with any light. But now that I've kind of become obsessive with the light being consistent, I only shoot when there's no natural light. Yeah, when you've tasted good light, it's hard to go back. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, something, no, I'm not going to go through that uh, again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's awesome. How do, do you have, um, I'm kind of curious on, on your creative process. Do you have, what, what do you do when you want to have a new idea? Hmm, good question. I think it's hard to come up with an idea right when I want to. And I come up with ideas in, at weird moments, like when I'm driving or doing mindless tasks. So I have a note in my phone where I'll write down ideas when they do come to me. And they're just like weird jumbles of words when something random comes to me. And then when I'm looking for an idea, I open that note and I kind of look through and I'm like, okay, what can I make out of one of these ideas that I had who knows how long ago? <laughs> and, and then you just go back to them and, and do, do you usually understand what you scribbled or are there times you're like, I have no clue what I meant? Yeah, I mean, let me open it and try and find an idea. <laughs> like... <laughs> Let's see. Um, okay, so I wrote like, um, let's see. I said, um, like, flower power. Plug goes into dirt. Flower grows out of it. Or um, sunbathe, sunflowers in a bath. Or <laughs> like, so they're just kind of like random words or puns it's not really a fleshed out idea but it'll help my brain start running and so I can actually think of something and then I'll usually I like to write down a bunch of keywords that are kind of like the theme of what I'm creating and especially mm -hmm. if it's for a client like I'll think okay what does this product signify what um what are the words that come to mind when I think of it and then I'll use those to come up with a bunch of ideas. And I usually will come up with like three or four variations and then I'll pick one. How long does a stop motion take you to make? Because I'm asking that question. First of all, I think you, you need to give us a little context as to how long are your stop motions and how long did it take you to make? Because maybe a lot of us have seen crazy stop motions that are like movie longs, uh, you know, like animated movies. And then it's just mind-blowing the amount of work there is that goes into it. So can, can you like describe a little bit the process and how long it takes? Yes, that's a great question. Um, so most people, when they hear someone does stop motion, they're like, oh my gosh, you must have so much patience because it's very tedious and takes a lot longer than you'd think. I actually don't think I'm someone who has a ton of patience. So my videos range from like two to 30 seconds. 
I usually, actually, I don't think I've ever made a video that's stop motion that's longer than 30 seconds um, because it takes a really long time. So if I'm going to make a five second stop motion, it's a lot of like setup and prep and maybe a set build out. And that obviously takes a long time too. But when you're animating, you can choose your frame rate and how quick you want the frames to go or how slow. But if you want like fluid motion that almost looks like video, you're moving an object like a centimeter at a time. And let's say you have an object that you want to start in the center of the frame and go off of the edge of the frame that could take like, I don't know, 10 minutes. And that's just a half of a second of footage. So it's, it's very time consuming. Um, but I like to stick in like a shorter range. There are long form stop motion films and those are, you know, they're spending like a full day for 10 seconds of video, which is crazy to me. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. That's um, so. I, I'm kind of curious because I I played around with those for fun in the past. Uh, like I animated all my gear and made it go in my backpack. Oh, cool! Uh, which was really fun because I have flexible tripod and I made it walk and, and like <laughs> give. And my laptop was giving direction to the others. Um, just I was. Like you said, I was kind of bored. I wanted to do something a little bit different in the video about gear. So I was like, oh, why don't I, I just have fun with that? You know? I love and, it. And, it and, and like you say, it's so fun because you can literally give life to objects you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and give them personalities almost. I mean, within that short time frame. Uh, obviously, it wasn't a minute long. <laughs> it was more <laughs> like a few seconds. But I never understood, how do you choose your, your frame rate? What, what's, what's a good frame rate? So it totally depends and everybody has a different style. I usually shoot at about 12 frames per second. So it's around half of what normal video footage would look like. So it has that choppier feel. Got it. Um, but sometimes slower, sometimes faster, depends on the idea and the concept and kind of what look I'm going for. Have you ever, did you ever go up to 24 frames per second? Yes, I have. And I don't love that style as much because then I'm like, why aren't I just shooting video? Like, this is so tedious. And I like the kind of fun, choppy feel of 12 frames per second. But yeah. sometimes, like, 24 frames per second can be a really cool, magical effect. Yeah, I was just curious because I'm like, if it's like video, but you're not doing video, how does how does that even feel like, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> the, and I felt that the most difficult part also was um, understanding how far you should move objects. Yep. So do, do you use like a grid so that you're always moving the same distance or, or how do you do that? So you can get really technical with it, which I think is why I love it because... I feel like it's the perfect mix of technology and creativity. Like you do have to be precise and calculate movements, but it's also you don't, and you can kind of just play around. So it really, like some people, you know, you can make an overlay of a grid on Dragon Frame, which is the program that I shoot with. And so then you know, and it'll make like exact tick marks that are the same distance apart and you move your object 
um, to each tick mark. And that's like kind of your guide. It's like a board game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or you can just eye it and kind of go with whatever feels right. But recently I've also realized that you can get more intricate with movement. So you can like ease in and ease out. If you move the object the same, the same amount as it's entering the frame for half of its distance, and then you start moving it in smaller and smaller increments, it's going to look like it goes fast and then slows down. Oh, it's like, it's like, let's say you had a character sitting down, you'd make like tiny movements at the beginning. And then the moment it's, it's up and starts walking, the, the, it just goes further and further so that it accelerates, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's interesting because you can play with how things are supposed to look, like with gravity, like if something jumps up, it's going to go slower on the up versus when it's coming down. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it can get pretty uh, detailed. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, so, so let's, let's switch to the, um, the, the photographer's slash career side of things. How is that standing for you right now? Are you like full-time motion... How, motion photographer how do you call that actually motion. <laughs> stop, stop motion photographer yeah stop motion i say i'm a photographer specializing in stop motion got it uh, or i can say i'm a stop motion animator but yeah. definitely i think it's key that i'm not making graphic animations i'm making like animations with my photography stop motion visual artist Yes, that sounds good. How does that sound? I that love it. That sounds good, no? <laughs> <laughs> um, are you full-time on it now? And, and do all your clients want you for stop motion now? Or give me a little bit of, like, what's happening in that world. Yeah, so what happened was I worked at that creative agency for four years. And then I decided to move up to the Bay Area where I grew up. And this was two years ago. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was kind of trying to figure that out. And I was freelancing just to pay my rent. And my family thought I was being too picky. And they were like, just take a job. And I was like, I don't know. I can't find anything that feels right. And my boyfriend at the time, Jesse, who's now my fiance, he suggested. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. He was like, why don't you just take a risk and try full-time freelance photography and stop motion. And I was like, okay, I mean, I haven't found anything else. So I guess what's, what's there to lose. Yeah. So I wrote out like a little contract for myself on a sticky note that said for the next six months, I will unsubscribe from LinkedIn and job alerts. I will stop applying for jobs and I will pretend that I'm a full-time photographer And just like put that into the world. And then in six months, I'll reevaluate and say, and then I can like reapply for jobs if it's not working out. So I remember then like seven months after that, Jesse goes, uh, weren't you supposed to reevaluate a month ago? And we had realized that I was enjoying it so much and it was going really well that I'd completely forgotten about that little contract and realized I didn't need to reevaluate anymore. So now I've been full-time freelance since it's almost been two years. Um, I started that like contract with myself in July. So in a few months, it'll be two years. Oh, that's sweet. 
So you you had a you made a contract with yourself. That's that's awesome. Yes. I love that idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it was scary, but I I realized, you know, worst the worst case scenario is I go into my savings a little bit and then I just look for a job in six months and I can talk in the job interviews about how I tried doing this thing on my own and hopefully they yeah. won't look at it as a waste of time. <laughs> and now I think It was amazing because I realized I was doing what I love and I was making a career out of it. But of course, then the roller coaster began to hit. And I'm not going to say that I never reevaluated, like, should I be doing this? Because mm -hmm. then I fell into the feeling of like, oh, my gosh, I'm in this alone. I miss having coworkers and a team and there's nobody to learn from and I felt lost. And so there was definitely ups and downs in my journey of working for myself. But ultimately now I know I'm in the right place. Yeah. It's, I, I feel like uh, that's a topic that's not very much discussed is the world of freelancing or being a, a solo entrepreneur mm -hmm. is actually even an entrepreneur, even if you have, Um, uh, employees is kind of lonely in a way oh yeah I mean I'm somebody that loves to be around other people and especially because I was working for brands with products and they would just send me the product and I would shoot by myself I was like really alone oh so you you wouldn't even have to go on set with them no like that's I was like at least portrait photographers get to like interact with the subject I was just dealing with objects that had no personality <laughs> well here's a cornflakes hey how are you today <laughs> yeah so that was really hard for me and at the same time I moved to Stinson Beach which is this small beach town that's pretty isolated so like I was living this artist life out at the sea, which sounded great from the outside, but really I was super lonely and felt lost and like I had no support in what I was doing. Although my business was doing well and I was getting a lot of work, I didn't have like a team of any sort. How did you go about that? Well, I basically struggled with that for a while. Um, I reconsidered, like, should I apply for a, a normal job and be around people? But ultimately, I knew I loved the work. I just missed, like, the culture of having coworkers. So I knew that I needed to find community and meet people. And I signed up for a workshop that was, like, a photo adventure workshop. And at this point, I shot Canon, but the workshop was sponsored by Sony, So I got to try out some of the Sony gear and ultimately it ended up convincing me to jump ship to Sony and I got rid of my Canon gear and then I was in Sony's like email list and so that's when I heard about the Sony Alpha Female program and it felt like it was exactly what I needed because it was not only like a grant but It was mentorship and community and like becoming part of the Sony family. And that was a dream for me. And I had a lot of people sending me the application too, um, saying like, you should apply for this. And I knew it was exactly what I was looking for. So that when I got into the program, that's really what pulled me out of like the feeling alone. 
Oh, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah, they, they launched it not long ago. Yeah, no, it was like the fall of last year. This is the first time that they're doing it. And yeah, so it, and in my application, I talked about how I, st I had started hiring assistants. So I would hire people who lived close by to come out and help me on shoots. Like even if I didn't need help, I would hire them because I just wanted to be working with other people and collaborating and have like somebody else to bounce ideas off of. And the Sony program has just like further allowed me to hire and support more people to work with me, which then in turn is amazing from like a cultural standpoint, but also has elevated my work that much more because we always do better work when, you know, we're collaborating with others. Yeah, that, that's, that's very true. What kind of um, bouncing off of, of that, what kind of assistant do you, do you hire and, and for what purpose? Like, mm -hmm. So it totally varies. Sometimes it's an assistant to help build a little set or design props. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's an assistant to help animate. So I'm like watching the screen and kind of playing director and they're actually moving the objects and animating. And sometimes I hire an assistant to help with like the business side of things. So paying those contractors, invoicing clients, um, pitching new business or writing out estimates, writing contracts and that stuff on the computer. Got it. Oh, speaking of business, uh, a question that comes very, 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 very often mm -hmm. <laughs> is how do you price your work? And as stop motion, um, did you have any reference towards pricing on stop motion or how did you go about it? Oh, I love this question because this is something I struggled with for so long. I was like, where is the information about this? And yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's nowhere. Um, so in the beginning, it was really hard. I mean, I remember the first time someone asked me, like when I was just doing stop motion for fun on my own and someone was like, how much do you charge for this? I'm interested for this brand. And I was like, charge? Like, of course, nothing. It's free. I, what do you mean? Like, I do this for fun. And then <laughs> the next time I realized okay, maybe this is something I can charge for. And I asked, um, I asked somebody else who was doing it for advice. And she said, you have to try and find out what their budget is. So, you know, if they have a budget for $500, then charge $500. If they have a budget for $5,000, charge $5,000. But that was always hard to do because brands also didn't know what to budget for stop motion because it's relatively like new, there aren't standards like there are for like a TV broadcast spot or something. So the brands would say, we genuinely like don't know what to budget. What is a ballpark range for this? So it was really hard to figure out. Like eventually I remember when I first started, I had different levels and I would say like, okay, the simplest video I do, I'll charge $500. And then when it becomes a little longer, more complex, I'll charge $800. And I had like these levels, but they didn't really have much reasoning behind them. And then about a year ago, I developed a system that I think now works really well, where I basically just decided I am going to have an hourly rate like any photographer would. 
and I'm going to have, I'm going to list out all the steps that stop motion involves. So everything from concepting to storyboarding to uh, prop designing and location scouting and setup and shooting and breakdown and uploading the photos and editing them and sound design and exporting and making in different file dimensions, adding text on screen, like every step that a client might ask me to do, I list it out. And then what I do is I basically take my hourly rate and I estimate the amount of hours that each of those steps in the process will take for a specific concept. So some concepts require no location scouting and some do, and some require like two hours of shooting and some require five hours. So it totally, my, my prices totally vary based on the concept, which I, which I think makes sense. Um, and now I'm able to just estimate that and able to provide the client with a breakdown if they want that. So like I know how to price and that's my system, but there's all different ways. I know somebody who charges based on the seconds of video and they charge a thousand dollars a second. So a five second video would be $5,000. And while that maybe kind of makes sense, I also think different animations have different complexities. So one five second stop motion might be very different from another five second stop motion. Yeah. And so I like my system. <laughs> I think it's, 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 a good shift to go to an hourly rate where you're able to break it down because as a business anyway you you want to understand imagine you were hiring someone to to do parts of those activities you need to understand how much you're going to pay them and for how long mm -hmm. and and you being the one doing it does not make it any different right right it's, uh, it's like okay how much does colette need um and how long does she need to do it you know and what's her hourly rate <laughs> right. And that way I also like to be flexible. Like some, I work with brands that have really big budgets, but also brands that have small budgets. And I think there's always a way to cater to whatever that brand needs. So if I do estimate a video, like let's say I estimate a video and it's going to be $6,000, but the brand only wants to spend $4,000. Like I can look through that price breakdown and see, okay, well, we can cut down the hours on, um, like, sound design and have no sound, or we can cut down the hours on, like, the actual shoot time and make the complexity of the animation a bit more simple by doing it this way. And that way I can, like, better, I don't know, I feel like I want to work with brands of all different sizes, and that allows me to be flexible. It's great, and uh, you can tailor your, your product and your... You deliverables to the client's budget at the end of the day which is which is awesome yeah how do you uh in terms of budget i like what you said about like trying to figure out that budget uh, that's something personally i've always i never understood always tried to do never really worked mm -hmm. um do, so imagine you get a request tomorrow do you just send them like your pitch with your pricing based no. off of that or or do you try to get info at the beginning no I usually try and set up a phone call like I definitely get emails where people say will you send me your rate sheet and I say yeah. I don't have a rate sheet but let's talk on the phone so 
I usually try and talk on the phone and that way I don't tell them like what I charge necessarily on the phone, but I get more information about what the project is and I try and get an idea of what their budget is. And then I say, I'll follow up with a cost estimate, um, via email, but when I'm asking them about their budget, I'm definitely aware that sometimes they don't know. And I think usually if they do know what their budget is, they're fine to say it because they know that, well, for this project, you know, my boss told me this is how much we have to spend and they're fine to say that. Um, but if they don't know and they're like, we just need kind of like a ballpark range. And sometimes I'll say, you know, if they're way off, if they're like, we're hoping to get like a video for $400, sometimes I'll say like, depending on my schedule or how busy I am, like I can't take on work that's less than a certain amount. Um, because like I said, with that system where I'm breaking down the cost, there's always going to be a minimum because I have to spend time setting up lighting the scene, shooting, editing, like there's going to be a minimum amount of hours that need to be spent. So I could never go down to like a hundred dollars, <laughs> but, um, but usually I'll just ask like if they have a ballpark budget range. And also another thing I say that I think is helpful is I tell them there's two ways that I can work, um, that I work with brands. One is they, know exactly what they want and they have an example video or a concept ironed out and they're like, this is what they want. And then I'll come back and I can estimate a cost for it because I know exactly what they're looking for and can use my system to estimate the amount of hours it'll take. Or they don't know what they want, but they know the products they want to stop motion for. They know how long it is and they know their budget. And then I'll come back and say, okay, based on your budget, I will come up with ideas that all will for sure fit within that. And then you can choose an idea. So then they basically either have to know the exact concept they want or a budget or else I can't put in time to come up with ideas. Got it. It makes, it makes total sense. Um, I think it's something that, that was always difficult or that is always difficult is simply because you don't want to be the one um, putting out the first number yeah. simply because you might be way off, meaning that brand might have, let's call it big budgets. Um, mm -hmm. And they value your work in that budget range when you are totally undervaluing yourself. I know. And you never want to, you never want to like say too big of a number and you never want to say too small of a number. It's definitely a hard, a hard thing to figure out. But I think once you figure out what your hourly rate is which will always change and you can always like raise it year by year yeah um then you can feel confident about that like you're not going to undervalue yourself absolutely and yeah. i think also um <laughs> i read somewhere recently someone wrote um the like the way you should price your work is whatever number you can say out loud for the project without laughing <laughs> <laughs> so like as high as high as you can go without actually laughing about it <laughs> that's that's good what about five million and then yeah. you're super stoic super serious <laughs> 10 million okay. then, you <laughs> then you explode five seconds after um, yeah yeah that's that's a good uh that's a good tip i i feel I, i'm gonna 
chime in here with my my personal experience there's something happening because of of the youtube channel uh i get reached out now uh, by brands who wants to get their stuff out uh, and they want my audience to see it and they want me to talk about it to my audience right mm -hmm. so they basically want um whoever's listening right now is attention right which uh is okay and not okay in a way so the the, the fun part is that well you don't want to underprice it because I value anyone's attention so high. You know, like it's for me, it's so important. I never want to have a channel where it's just you're just blogging products every five minutes. You know, it's to me, it, it makes no sense, mm -hmm. and that's never the value I wanted to provide to to anyone. So when I'm pricing that, and some brands are like, "Why is it so high?" Blah blah blah, because I don't want that. You know, it's it's like I literally. There's parts of the jobs that I don't want uh, unless they're ready to commit to a certain amount, which uh, for some of them will not make sense. But it weeds out a lot of people also mm -hmm. and a lot of requests and uh, will keep people who are genuinely interested in building relationships uh, for longer term. And, uh, and usually those are products that, that really work out for anyone, you know, for the audience also and for myself. Yeah. And then do you find that with that strategy, you end up with kind of like the right amount of partnerships? Oh, I'm turning down. I would say if anyone would look at it, they'd be like, why do you turn down so many <laughs> opportunities? And, and I think short term, it doesn't like financially short term, it doesn't make sense. I completely agree with anyone. But I also see it in the longer term, and I try to think a little bit further than just six months, and I think about it like, okay, now what if uh, the the audience is uh, triple or quadruple the size, you know, or ten times the size? Mm -hmm. Now, do I want to take on that job and and kind of like force people to go through it now versus later, where it makes a little bit more sense business wise, you know? Mm -hmm. um, uh, would you rather make it? And that's, I think, a question that a lot of people get in interviews. Uh, I think my wife got it like 10 times the same question asked differently in an interview with LinkedIn. And they were asking her, would you rather make $500 now or $5,000 in eight months? And then they would change the same questions <laughs> like in so many different ways. And that kind of shows what kind of business you're trying to build. Yeah, that's so true. And that's hard. That's a hard decision to make because you're thinking about the future. And I think that I realized that kind of recently because I was really busy and decided I needed to turn down work. So I said, yeah. okay, I'm going to turn, I'm going to not take any more work for these next two months. But then it's so hard to turn down work and I would always be like well maybe I can fit it into my schedule and oh but this brand is really cool but then I realized okay instead of just turning them down why don't I just try and price double and and say and that's its own way of turning it down but here and there certain clients would say okay we'll pay double and then yes. that's like a cool way <laughs> where you end up realizing you can actually charge a lot more with less and you don't need as many jobs. Exactly. That's, I think, like, definitely so a hard lesson to learn, but a good one. 
Yeah, it, and it's the same for anything. Like whether you're creating stop motion or you're doing photography or you're you're having sponsored segments on your channel. Imagine you have to do one like three times a day. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but if you had to do like three times a day versus once a day or once every three days, you can apply yourself to do a better job on each one also. You have more time, you have more freedom in a way to, to make it like really to the top 1% of, of your craft. Right. And I think that in terms snowballs into making actually better art and, and then getting priced even more, you know, because suddenly it's like, oh, wow, actually that person is like so good. But if totally. you take too many jobs, you can't get there. Yeah. And I've realized that the hard way too. I'm like, I'm, when I'm too busy, I'm not producing as good of work. And when I give myself more time or turn down jobs, I can better my craft and be able to charge more because I'm doing better work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I remember uh, when I used to shoot uh, portraits back in Paris a lot, um, like couples and all that. Mm-hmm. I remember we were ta- talking with friends and we're like, okay, well, why don't you just book your months and, and whatever you've booked now, whatever inquiry comes up after, you just double your price and see what, how that reacts. You know, yeah. it's like secure your base and then from your minimum base, then you just double the price for everything and just see what happens. Yep, totally. And, and then you, yeah, I think that's, <laughs> that's a fun exercise. It's a little bit scary, I think, for people at the beginning, but... Yeah, Always and one day, out. the next thing you know, you're charging $10 million and not even laughing about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, well, no, I mean, my time is just very precious, guys. You know, <laughs> Let's do one stop motion this year, but it's going to be the best in the world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Colette, since you're in that stop motion world, have you ever thought of getting into movies like long stop motion, either as um, like technician on on the set or like or as your own creative director for one. Wow, I mean, I think that's something I kind of envision way down the line. Like it feels like the big leagues, and mm-hmm. I think I I love working with brands and doing advertising. But I do think it'd be really cool to tell a longer story and be a part of a big team that puts something together that's so rewarding at the end. And so I would love to even just be a fly on the wall in a stop motion studio that's working on a movie. Yeah, and just go explore what they're doing. Yeah. I I, I can't remember what movie I, I... We watched an animated movie with my wife not long ago. And it was crazy. Like, they were creating faces with all the expressions for those characters and they were like i don't know 350 phases per character I'm i like, know what <laughs> it's actually crazy like those people are on another level <laughs> yeah and how do you organize that yeah, like like what's your organization board look like it's it's it must be insane right i know like the shot list and dealing with all the people involved like that, I mean, yeah, that, like I said, I would just love to be in the room and watch how that happens. Yeah, then you, I, I'm pretty sure you'd get like massive hacks <laughs> for your own work after, and you're like, wow, okay, when you have 350 to do in like a few days, that's how you do yeah. it. Yeah, and they do so much post production because they do a lot of rigging with wire and 
And so then like their post-production people are just every single frame Photoshopping. And it's just like, oh my goodness. (laughs) That's awesome. Colette, I want to ask you a kind of a, let's call it a a wrap-up question. But do you ever get bored with your, with your art? No, I, I wouldn't say I get bored, but I do get burnt out. I, Interesting. I definitely get to the point where I'm like, I really don't want to pick up my camera today. Or I really don't want to go to my studio. Like I used to, everywhere I traveled, I would bring my gear and I still do. And I try and shoot wherever I am. And I'm always wanting to create and make things. And it's really exhausting. But like the feeling I get when I don't bring my gear or don't create things is like, oh, what what I could have done. And I have all these ideas and I'm like, now I know always bring my gear, but some of like (laughs) the best vacations or even like two day weekend trips are where I don't bring my camera and I just try to turn my brain off. And those to me are like really valuable because I can get like way too, um, just like busy, always, always making and editing and making and editing. And then I get burnt out. <laughs> That's interesting. How, how do you do? You have a creative um, creative exercise or little tip you want to share with with anyone listening who is maybe either in that burnt out phase or simply completely uninspired lately because maybe that person has been shooting the same thing for like two years now or like six months straight and is literally getting sick with it. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think. The cool thing about stop motion, and I also love making cinemagraphs, is like, and I think the reason I fell into them is because I was getting burnt out from just doing photography. And I realized like there are new and unique, interesting ways to use my gear that I haven't thought of. And like, what kind of tricks can I do? Or what, what's something different I can create? So even now that I mostly do stop motion and cinemagraphs and that kind of thing, like I love just changing it up and I'll say, I want to take a portrait of a friend and try doing something interesting with like a lens flare or something that's totally not going to go in my portfolio and won't really benefit my business, but will exercise my creative brain and just like allow me to take a break while also getting inspiration from a different kind of medium. So I encourage everybody, if you haven't tried stop motion, there are apps that you can try with your phone or you can try with your camera and just try and make something simple. Even if it's just like getting a friend and taking a photo of them and having them pivot around in a circle and then stringing it together into a video where they spin in a circle, like doing something that's not normally what you shoot, I think is the best way to get out of burnout. That is absolutely great advice. Yeah. I I hope that helps someone right now who's, who is a little bit stuck uh, because I I think that's a very, very, very good advice. And uh, I I I might try some stop motion again very soon, just for fun. Definitely do it. And I am always available if anyone has questions or feels like it's difficult. I love helping people learn and am totally open to sharing anything I know. 
where can people find you? You just made the, the you just created that transition for me, which is amazing. Where can <laughs> people find you online? Um, on Instagram, I'm at Colette Robinson, C-O-L-E-T-T-E Robinson, and I have a yellow profile picture. And um, that's pretty much the best way to find me. Um, but I also, my website is ColetteRobinson.com, but all of that information is on Instagram. Awesome. Anyway, everything is going to be in the show notes uh, as usual. So people can just go and click the link if, if they're bored and they don't cool. want to type it. So <laughs> Colette, thank you so much for taking the time. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, we're all a little bit busy in life and that means a lot for me and I think to anyone listening. Thank you so much. It was so fun. So we'll talk to you in the next episode, Colette. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Wow. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this has been helpful. I think there was a tremendous amount of value again in that episode and Colette has been super open to share all her techniques and even pricing and how she works with clients. Super thankful for your time, Colette. Guys, if this is your first time listening, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you leave it a five-star rating on Apple iTunes podcast and make sure you share it with your friends because the goal is to have it spread like wildfire and that everyone listens so we can bring in more and more guests and I can give you more and more value when you listen. All right, guys, with that being said, have an amazing day. Get out there, go shoot, try something different, try something new. See ya, bye.